1: If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.
2: From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander features exciting and diverse guests and topics. Laugh and learn as you listen to the best hour of radio around. Entertainment's best online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly,
3: William Eric Alexander. On my friends, call me Bill. And you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com as we broadcast live from the Phil Genetti Motor Studios high atop High Street. In Brownsville, Pennsylvania, if you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call at 724-785-6800 or stop by his website, motors.com Well, hope everything's going fine for you on this uh, wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, whenever you're listening to the program, and I'm glad you could join us. Well, tonight we're going to dip our toe into the political ring for 2020 as we talk to our first presidential candidate who is on the ballot in all 50 states the gentleman's name is mark whitney and mark is as i said the first presidential candidate um and he has filed as the candidate for the 2020 presidential election on september 6 2019 and he will be certified as a candidate in all 50 states let's go to the phone line right now let's talk to mark whitney mark how are you doing
2: Yes, sir, Bill. I'm I'm doing great. I'm in uh, sitting here in my studio in in San Diego, taking a break from relentlessly uploading content, and I'm happy to be talking to you.
3: So, my question is: Why would anybody in their right mind <laughs> want to run for president of the United States?
2: Okay, so the question reminds me of this old New Yorker cartoon where you got these two do Wells hitchhiking. And one of them says to the other, you know, only a moron would pick us up. And who wants to ride with a moron? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's a great question. Bill, Bill Clinton left the White House $16 million in debt. Uh-huh. And whatever, whatever else can be said about Donald Trump, you know, he, to my mind, he is showing all the signs of someone getting ready to file bankruptcy. The hotel is for sale. And he's relocating from New York to Florida, which has very generous bankruptcy exceptions. You can own an acre of land in Florida and have a 90-foot-tall skyscraper on it, and it's exempt from your bankruptcy filing.
3: Oh, I didn't so, realize
2: that. Uh, oh, yeah. It varies from state to state. So if, if you have a ton of money and, and, and you're, you're filing bankruptcy to, to for, for management reasons, Florida is where you want to declare your residence.
3: So I, I went to look for research about who you are before I went, uh, before we talked tonight. And, of course, I went right. to the one site that gives me the most information, and that is Wikipedia. So Right, right. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. authentic this is or not, but it considers you the first presidential candidate from the Internet. What does that mean? Well, that,
2: well nobody has ever tried doing what I'm doing. So. Okay. Uh, so I don't I, – the Democrats are, are having their two-year uh, 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 American Idol competition. Right. And they are running to win the Iowa caucus, and then they run to win the New Hampshire primary. And when I decided that I had no choice but to run for president, I had to find a path. So I looked at the two major parties, and and the thing that I found out is is how the major parties have – uh, Built in restrictions that make it almost impossible for somebody who is not, for somebody who, who doesn't subscribe necessarily to the doctrine to participate. So when you get after New Hampshire, you head down to South Carolina, and unless this is written in the, the South Carolina law, this is Democrat and Republicans in the South Carolina legislature getting together, writing a law. It says, unless CNN defines you as a major candidate coming out of New Hampshire, if you want to get on the ballot in uh, South Carolina primary, you've got to get 5,000 signatures of South Carolina voters. Okay. And so it it becomes progressively harder as you go deeper into the primary system. So uh, what I want to do is be able to look people in the eye and say, look, uh, I know you've never heard of me, but there is a path under which I could actually be elected president. I'll be certified as a candidate in all 50 states, but I'm running external to the two-major-party system. Uh, But there is a—and there's also, on paper at least, there is an enormous market for an independent candidate to become the president. Seventy-five percent of eligible voters in the United States are not registered with the two major political parties. The two privately owned political parties only have a twenty-five percent market share of voters, but they have a ninety-nine percent market share of officialdom.
3: Okay. Which,
2: which in, in in you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so any other any other situation you look at with your business hat on, you go, geez, the market is wide open. So I
3: also read, and and I guess your your background is you are a comedian and a political satirist. And you were inspired right. to run based on the recent historic landsides that elected comedian Jimmy Morales as president in Guatemala and comedian Correct. Vladimir Zel- Zelensky as president in Ukraine. Now, we know what's going on in Ukraine what? right now. Is that really yes. a good guy to be <laughs> be basing your career on?
2: Well, I mean, I think Zelensky may may be a victim in all of this. Okay. We don't really know. But the thing that the thing is interesting, I'll tell you, it's all—it's almost like karma with regard to Delinsky, because uh, he beat—he beat, he beat an, a corrupt, incumbent billionaire in a landslide, and get this, on my birthday, April twenty-first. Okay. <laughs> so I saw that and said, "Well, I'm in." I mean, there are other reasons too, but but uh, you know, the the talents that uh, cause someone to be a great stand-up comedian and a great politician. They overlap uh, very much. They overlap very much. When I look at the, the presidential election, especially now with geez, everything is 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the second. right It's really I believe that it is first and foremost. and, and nobody who is like this orthodox uh, you know, Democrat or Republican will, will will admit this because they have to pretend that it's something much grander. But it's a public speaking competition. And what people are really doing, I think, is picking a roommate. <laughs> you know, they, they look and they go, do I, want to, do I want to live with this person in the oxygen for the next four years? So it's a very visceral decision that is unique to all other political offices. And the ability to get up there and run your mouth and respond quickly, for better or worse, uh, is is extremely important. Um, I, I, I was doing a little research on you guys. I noticed that McKeesport is the uh, was the home of the first televised presidential debate between Nixon and Kennedy. Yes. And and uh, I just turned sixty, so I've been around since Kennedy was elected. And in my lifetime, there have only been two Democrats who have been reelected to be president, and that is Clinton and Obama. And I would argue that the reason for that is when people in the audience and the american people watch these two men speak they know that that these two men enjoy public speaking they enjoy being on their feet and that in fact is probably their favorite part of the job and that makes people feel good and and uh, that contributes greatly to my mind as to why they were reelected
3: now what i when i realized you were a comedian and you were looking at doing this the first person that came to my mind was uh, Pat
2: Paulson. I know what who, you're going to say. I knew you were <laughs> going to say Pat Paulson. Who came
3: who came about and it was a comedic stick <laughs> on the Smothers Brothers program where he was Which running I for president. Well. And mm-hmm. are other people bringing this up or is that just from a time long ago that most people don't remember?
2: Uh people of a certain age definitely remember Pat Paulson because that was back in the days when there was only 10 famous people and everybody knew who they were. <laughs> now nobody is famous, right?
3: <laughs> that or everybody's and, uh, famous, yeah.
2: Yeah, everybody's a little bit famous. And Colbert uh, Colbert ran for president a couple of times. Um, and uh, um, it is, uh, uh, but the, here's, here's what's different. Uh, Pat Paulson, uh, I, I know because of, of the type of show you're doing here that you're you're an old school radio guy. I'm yes. an old school radio guy too. My one of my first jobs out of high school was was working in radio. I worked at three uh, radio stations and and uh, worked in TV in Boston. And uh, the the difference here is that Pat Paulson did not have his own radio and TV station, and I do. Oh, okay. Uh, not in the not in the traditional sense, but uh, for the three and a half years preceding my decision to run, I created a podcast called The Late Night Last Week. Where, where I did uh, uh, principled political commentary, but instead of using uh, CNN and MSNBC and Fox to, to set up the punchlines, I was actually using uh, jokes from late-night comedians to set up my punchlines. So okay. there's, like a, there's like double punchlines. And uh, so that, that podcast has had millions and millions of listens, and I still campaign on that show. And uh, my point being, and I'm sure you have similar stories, my first job in radio was in Middlebury, Vermont, and the guy uh, Mark Brady who owned the station. So if if you wanted people to listen to you talking to a microphone back then, you had to own a piece of swamp land for the AM antenna, and then you had to have access to a ski area for the FM antenna, and you had to pay engineers to go up there in snowmobiles in the winter to fix the thing when it broke. And, and for all of that, you would get a real scratchy signal that maybe went 10 miles in a radius, right? Right. And uh, now, for, uh, you know, if you spend $5,000, you've got a state-of-the-art audio studio, and you, you've got the same microphone Howard Stern is using, and the signal is global, and it's digital, and it's crystal clear, and it's a tremendous opportunity for someone that decides to commit to it.
3: So you you your podcast, you said the Late Night Last Week podcast, was that on right. once a week? Was that five days a week? How did you run that?
2: Uh, late Night Last Week originally started out as a retrospective look back. It was a review of the best of, of late-night comedy. And then I would, uh, as, I, as I got it, it initially started out as a review show to review the best of late-night comedy because I kind of was wa- I was watching these people anyway. I decided to turn it into a podcast. But what I discovered was that there is an official narrative embedded in these shows that is very much reflective of CNN and the New York Times. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a more entertaining way to review and respond to the issues of the day. Uh, and, and that's kind of what made it into a hit show. And as I, as I got about a year and a half into it, I got better at doing it. And I kind of found my voice within the show, and I found myself uh, oftentimes... Uh, disagreeing with the jokes the comedians were telling, so there was this tremendous conflict that was created sometimes, and that would uh, that would end up making for a really great show that people around the world really uh, are enjoying.
3: So, with you running for office right now, how often are you producing this program?
2: Okay, so now that I'm running for president, I'm producing the program even more often. Okay, but it's a, it's a, it's in a, so instead of hosting the show as a concerned citizen. I'm hosting the show as a presidential candidate, which is real. And instead of doing uh, a single one-hour uh, show a week, I'm uploading both video and audio versions, uh, doing three to four of those a week right now. And that's sort of the plan between now and the end of January. And then uh, once we get into the presidential primaries, I'll be using some of the content I've created to pit- to pitch myself uh, to bigger – uh, independent shows. Uh, uh, like, I, I know comedian Russell Bram, we're kind of friends. Russell's got a big show. And hopefully maybe end up on Joe Rogan's show uh, at the end and kind of work that path in the way that uh, that Andrew Yang has. Because there really is no path uh, for an independent candidate to uh, be treated with anything approaching respect in the, uh, in the traditional uh, cable news, as we think about it, or by the New York Times or any of the traditional... Outlets, but there is this independent uh, this independent path of both journalists and, and people who cover politics and comedians and anybody who generally likes to run their mouth and see themselves on camera and and uh, so I'm going to be working that path and uh, and then uh, and then just going to kind of be very flexible as to how this plays out because no one has ever no one has ever used the internet to take 13 months to win the nation. Um, uh you may recall a couple weeks back Hillary Clinton uh, appeared out of nowhere on a podcast and she uh, said that uh, Tulsi Gabbard was, yes. a, uh, she was calling her names and stuff like that. But deep into that podcast, uh, Hillary also described the mayhem that occurred in her campaign when she had to pivot from being the nominee to being a general election candidate and only having 10 weeks to do it. And, and how it was really basically impossible. And that, of course, is going to repeat itself. Um, and it's interesting to me that to, to me to even uh, the, the two other parties who have uh, ballot access in 50 states, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party, it's interesting to me that they don't get ahead of the game and nominate, you know, and be nominating their, their candidate like right now or in January or something. So that person has, you know, the better part of a year. To build their brand, so so I'm running. I'm running for uh, president the way the way I wish Democrats were. In other words, I wish they were competing uh, with Trump as opposed to trying to kill him by process. Because I haven't seen any sense of atonement or, or any or any admission that that they got their ass kicked. Um, I feel like the the Hollywood Reporter, the Hollywood uh, tape that came out, uh, uh, you know, must have cost Trump at least five points. You know, and he won anyway, and, you know, no one is really highlighted to talk about any of those things. And uh, uh, so uh, so I decided, I, I, at some point, I decided I have to just get off the sidelines and, and put my time and my money where my mouth is and try to set the example uh, for what I think a presidential campaign should be in, in 2019, you know, 2020.
3: So what what is your political qualifications to be president?
2: Well, the highest office in the land is the office of citizens. So I've been a citizen for 60 years. Um, when you say political qualifications, um, for the last uh, 20 years, I've been the CEO of a company called uh, TheLaw.net. And my company provides uh, legal research materials to federal and state government agencies, attorneys, judges, uh... native american peoples uh, all over the country um, i am a a uh, self-taught uh, uh... constitutional scholar i have a high school education uh... from honor valley union high school in brandon vermont yet somehow uh... through self-study i have become a guy that uh... forty thousand lawyers have been paying for twenty years <laughs> when they have to sit down at a when they have to sit down at a computer And answer the toughest questions on behalf of their clients. uh, They use the data provided by my company. Okay. And um, uh, so, you know, the direct answer to your question is: I've never. uh, The only time I was elected president was the student council of my high school. Um, I ran for office in 1996 in Vermont in a in a seven way competition for four state senate seats, and the local paper of which I'm sure you have one very similar in McKeesport, the local editorial board got together and said, well, you know, we wouldn't vote for Whitney, but we would travel to see him perform. So <laughs> I took that, I, 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 and, and, and my picture did, did appear uh, above the fold in color in, in a larger format than, than at the time Bill Clinton and, and Bob Dole. Okay. So, uh, so I know how to get attention, but I am, I, I am a civil libertarian. Uh, the uh, the Bill of Rights is, a, is all about civil liberties. It's all about human rights. Uh, I'm very concerned about free speech and who gets to be heard. Uh, I'm not happy to see people like uh, people who I respect, like Aaron Sorkin and Tom Friedman last week in the New York Times calling for the censorship of political speech. For some reason, uh, there is a doctrine in the air that Uh, Political speech should be treated differently now that people are doing their political speech on a computer than it has been treated historically. And I'm sure, uh, as an old radio guy, you're well aware that that federal law in the United States prevents TV and radio stations from censoring political speech, that the mechanisms in place are for the political opponent to uh, advertise back or speak back, when someone speaks ill or for the press to cover it uh, or for people to get organized in protest. But we don't just we don't just censor it. And and I am astonished at some of the people who are, are are coming forward with the iron fist of censorship in response to Trump, as opposed to competing with better ideas.
3: Well, and I and I uh, and I get that too because with what I'm hearing you say, you actually have more qualifications for president than our current president does right now.
2: But there's no question about that, um, and uh, the I mean I have several co- copies of the Constitution sitting around my office, and the Constitution of the United States is is the job description. The job description is right there. And the constitution has been marginalized because there's some truth to the fact that the, some of the founders were, to quote George Carlin, white slave owners who wanted to be free. That is factually true with regard to some of the founders, and that has really, really taken hold with a lot of a lot of citizens in the United States who are under 35. Right. But it is also it is also true that the Lincoln version of the constitution which includes the Fourteenth Amendment, which uh, you know it, it's a remarkable thing when you think about it. For all the credit the founders get for being geniuses, uh, they forgot to de- they forgot to define who is a member of the club, and it wasn't until the country was nearly a hundred years old that they got around to writing an amendment that defines who is a citizen, and within that amendment, uh, all the all the good things come from. The, Come from that amendment uh, because that is where equal protection of the law is, and and if I'm about one thing, it's equal protection of the law for all citizens. Okay. And uh, I'll give you I'll give you an example that that is a uh, uh, an example that people really listen to because there still is not a uh, there still is not agreement from coast to coast that uh, that anybody should be able to marry anybody. So whatever a person thinks about same-sex marriage, the reason anybody in the United States can marry anybody is not because the 14th Amendment sees gay citizens or straight citizens. It just sees citizens. And that that principle is so rock-solid that that when the two guys who went to the U.S. Supreme Court, six practicing Catholics on the Supreme Court, could not find a hole in that principle that would allow them to write a legal opinion that said otherwise. Right. So that's how, that's how rock solid that principle is. And so sometimes when I, when I, when I see people sort of subdivide in themselves by sexual preference and say, uh, you know, you should, you should celebrate the fact that we're gay. It's like, okay, fine. But at the same time, you may be working against your own self-interest by creating a subset of citizens where you have this incredible rock-solid protection just by just by embracing your citizenship.
3: Right. Now, last week we had this interview originally scheduled, but unfortunately you couldn't do it because you had a fundraiser. Now, my question is, how yeah. much support are you getting from out i don't want to say outside organizations but from people that are are actually starting to help fund your campaign
2: um it's interesting i'm starting to raise money it was a local fundraiser among friends here in san diego and they invited me to give a speech and and i did that and we raised some money um but i haven't uh in the in the programming that i'm doing right now to promote my campaign on the internet I have not put the emphasis on money. I think that uh, after the calendar turns to 2020, okay. um, when, if, 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 uh, if things get busy enough that I need to hire, I, I have one assistant who's been with me a long time, and I have friends who are volunteering. But if things get to the point where I need to staff up or rent some office space, then I'm going to say to people who follow me, look, uh, I have carried this thing. I've put it on my back, right? I've done it myself to this point. Um, but we need you guys to chip in because here are some specific things uh, we need to do. Or if I start flying around the country, uh, you know, to give speeches or things like that, you know, you guys can chip in and help me with because I don't think it's equitable for me to to have to do that. But here's, here's my thing with money. Uh, you're familiar with this guy, Tom Steyer? Yes. Okay, Tom Steyer, the billionaire who has been running uh, ads against Donald Trump for the past year or so, he's kind of raised his profile, and then recently... He decided he would run for president, which I suspect he planned on doing all along. Right. So Tom run- Steyer goes out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
3: And he's planning on running on the Democratic ticket too.
2: Yeah, he's running in the Democratic primaries. So, so then the Democrats that are having this raffle where they where they they can get people to send in a dollar, uh, and you're polling at two percent, and you get a hundred thousand people, or whatever to do it, you can be on the debate stage on CNN or wherever the whole. So Tom Steyer. Here's my thing with money. Using Tom Steyer as a reference, Tom Steyer spent a hundred thousand dollars a day for six weeks on Facebook. A hundred thousand dollars, four and a half million dollars, and he was barely able to get himself polling at two percent or whatever it was to qualify for the debate. Okay. And he already had some name recognition from running ads over the course of a year. So my point with regard to money is that is that it can't be money. Okay. I could have. Tom Steyer money, and, and you know I'm comfortable. I don't have anything like Tom Steyer money, but if I, you can't you can't buy your way to the White House. It doesn't work that way. Um, uh, so uh, you can you can buy yourself onto the debate stage, but Tom Steyer uh, once he started talking, he started pulling lower.
3: Oh, interesting.
2: <laughs> so yeah, he went down from two percent. So <laughs> so once he got up there. Uh, you know he couldn't. He he just he just wasn't in the game. Okay. And so you have to have an act. You've got to have an act. And I use that in quotes. But and then I also use it not in quotes because you've got to be great on stage to become the president. You have to be. And and if the Democrats have a flaw, it is that they put too much weight on on credentials, a disproportionate amount of weight on credentials. Obama was someone you didn't have to pick and choose. He. He had all the goods, right? But they don't have somebody right now who has all the goods. And when I look at it, I go, you know, if I can get to the point where I'm polling at fifteen percent, the commission on presidential debates, they got to put me on that debate stage between Trump right. and whoever the Democrats the Democrats' tribute is. And um, and uh, Jesse Ventura is the model. He was posting, he was polling at ten percent in 1999 in Minnesota. He made it onto the debate stage, and he won the election. Right, yeah.
3: Um, with the Democrats right now, the one I think it's um, actually throwing them off is Mayor Pete um, Buttigieg, who right. is actually polling better because, again, he has a message, and he's able to speak on stage, and he doesn't get flustered. The top, I mean... Yeah, you, he is,
2: he's very steady,
3: yeah. And you have Biden, who is, is every, every other word, he's sticking his foot in his mouth, Bernie's looking like an angry old man telling all the kids to stay off his lawn. And Warren, I don't know where she's coming at, but the only one that, that looks steady through the whole thing is is uh, Buttigieg, which I think is very interesting. Now, if you could get up on the stage, who would you would like to see the other candidate be that you'd be able to debate against?
2: Well, Donald Trump would be my favorite. Right. Donald Trump would be my favorite. But yeah, if, and, then but, the, and then the Democrats... The Democrat who would be the most difficult to debate among the current candidates would be Buttigieg. Okay. And uh, uh, so, so I think so, so uh, I was talking to somebody else who interviewed me uh, yesterday about this. Buttigieg and I have a different kind of intelligence. You people look at Buttigieg and they go, "That is a guy who is really smart," and he is super smart. Um, but when you use the word smart, that covers a lot of landscape. Trump is a is a genius. In what he is good at, I look. I look at how he adapts to different uh, different stages. You know, there's podium Trump, there's rally Trump, there's rose garden Trump, there's helicopter Trump. There's all these different Trumps, and he adapts really well to these to these different settings. And so, so that is a form of intelligence um, that I also believe that I have. Okay. So uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg and I would have a really interesting debate because he. He is someone who would get a sixteen hundred or whatever it is on the SAT, and I'll just guarantee you I would not. He can find every every he can find every every country on a map, and I can't. Mm-hmm. And uh, however, um, you know, I I I've been married for uh, uh, forty years. I've raised two children who were self two sons who were self made millionaires by the time they were thirty, without borrowing money from their parents, without. Uh, without uh, going out and incurring debt. Uh, I'm someone who lost everything as an entrepreneur in his 20s, owed IRS a million dollars, spent my 30s digging out, spent my 40s rebuilding, spent my 50s kicking ass to the point that now I'm comfortable enough, I can take a year off and run for president. So I've had some experiences that that, uh, Pete Buttigieg hasn't had, and these are experiences that I believe are useful uh, including twenty years as an executive in a tech company at a time where we are trying to figure out how we are going to get private companies to not do to us what we forbid the government to do to us, which is decide who gets to be heard. Right. So I think this is a useful combination of talent. When we're talking, when the first amendment is on the table, we're not talking about we're not talking about right or left. We're talking about the foundation uh, uh, upon which everything else happened. And, and uh, uh, you know, I sometimes joke that, that free people live the First Amendment, prisoners live the entire Bill of Rights. <laughs> um, uh, but if you're fortunate enough to be out there just living a wonderful First Amendment life, you know, and I read people like Tom Friedman and Aaron Sorkin calling for censorship of political speech, I don't think they're thinking about the prisoners. I don't think they're thinking about Uh, refugees. I don't think they're thinking about the people on the outside yelling in trying to make a better life for themselves. I don't think they're thinking about uh, Ahmet Alton, who wrote a book, I Will Never See the World Again, who is doing life in prison in Turkey for the crime of having an opinion. Right. I don't think they're thinking of those people. No. I think they're thinking about vanity and winning the next election and being able to to hang out with their wine-drinking friends and not feel bad about the fact that Donald Trump humiliated them.
3: Yeah. You're listening to WMCK.FM and also to italknet.com. Yours truly, Bill Alexander, as we talk to uh, presidential candidate Mark Whitney. Now, Mark, you're considering yourself an independent, correct?
2: Yeah. Well, the way I like to say it is that I am not dependent on political parties to tell me what to say. So so people have a choice, and I have a choice between two... Independent candidates, or as I like to call them, codependent, or me.
3: Okay, you don't have you don't have like a uh, a really cute name like the Green Party or the Constitution Party. You're just going as independent, correct?
2: Yeah, I'm running as a, as a citizen. I'm running as an active citizenship. Uh, there there are many reasons that I'm running for president uh, on the off chance that I don't win. Uh, I am I am trying to model good citizenship for my sons. I'm trying to perfect a new model of running for president uh, using the Internet where, where we did not have to be psychologically abused by this, this two-year contract between yeah. large corporate media companies and the two privately held uh, political organizations who, you know, the, you know, the reason, you know, no, let's, let's be honest. Nobody gives a crap about Iowa, okay? The first theater festival I ever won was in Des Moines, and so thank you very much, Des Moines. But but they're, they're, the the reason there's a disproportionate focus on Iowa, the reason uh, Kamala Harris will go to an assisted living center there and shake hands with people is because the New York Times are going to take a picture of her doing it. CNN is going to take a picture of her doing it. And then that means the politician can raise more money, and that money will go to run ads on CNN so they can afford to send a photographer back to take more pictures. It's like the recycling logo.
3: Okay. Well, Yeah. <laughs>
2: You're, 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 it's a dance. It's
3: such a dance. And, and you're right because it's just it's just a way to get the money rolling in and to get the get the uh, the uh, the notoriety coming in just by seeing these people. Yeah. Now, what does your wife say about you running for president?
2: Well, my wife is totally behind me. My sons are totally behind me. My uh, my oldest son is an expert at getting people to click on things, so he's like a okay. secret weapon. Uh, my wife is getting her law degree at age 60 on December 11th. She's number one in her class and she will be a great first lady. She'll have everybody recycling and reusing. <laughs> uh, and she can, and she, she can, she'll get four years off that from telling me to pick up my socks. So it's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so my family is totally behind me and, and my friends are behind me and the people who listen to me and watch me on the internet, are, are behind me and provide me with encouragement every day. And and I'll tell you, if you if you if, if you want to do something to put a smile on people's faces and have them be nice to you, run for president outside the corrupt and corrosive system. And like, uh, like every morning I go to Denny's, I sit in booth 38, and they call me Mr. President now when I go there. And that's fantastic. And they have my coffee ready, and they follow what I'm doing on the Internet, and they're they're all ready to quit that job and go to the White House and run food service there, and so uh, it's fantastic. It's a great it's a great thing to do, and it and it fills people with hope because everybody wants something good to happen, and 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 everybody knows that nothing good is going to come from anything that's going on right now. Right
3: now, the the question I was I, uh, I'm going to ask you now. I was going to end the program with it, but since you opened the door up and mentioned Denny's. What is your favorite meal at Denny's? Uh,
2: Well, at Denny's, uh, right now, at this time of year, okay, this is the week that they come out with the Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. And you get the turkey and a little bit of mashed potatoes and the broccoli and some stuffing and a little bread on the side. And I ask them to microwave it 30 seconds longer and give me some extra cranberry sauce. And I'm good for about eight hours.
3: (laughs) What's really interesting about you is you are... I, I, and I don't want to make this sound negative, but you're very down-to-earth, and I think you, you, you really know what your limitations are, but yet the sky's the limit on this. And even mm-hmm. though you may not make it this time, I can see the format you're setting up to be a format that may actually be used in years to come running exactly. for president. Now the other right. thing is, we never thought that the Twitter or Facebook would be prominent in an election until the last election, when we had right. a presidential candidate that all he did he, the heck with having his own um, communications director because he was it. He was out there lambasting everybody, and yet right. that's what his his uh, his uh, his uh, group of people, his supporters wanted. And I see with what you're doing here is something very similar, but not just using Facebook and Twitter. You're actually using pretty much all of the internet from your podcast, from audio and video, from what you're doing online and also doing your speeches and everything else. So I see you more of a well-rounded package. And I I think it's very interesting that this would happen. Now, are
2: you, are you looking? I would just, at- I would just inter- interject something else there in response to what you're saying about about the uh, uh, Facebook and YouTube and so forth. All of my comedian friends, and I and I trust them because comedians are truth tellers, right? They all agree, that they all agree that if the current batch of Democratic candidates were limited to a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and a podcast, and they were running against me, that I would definitely be the president, right? Right, because they don't. They, they, that, you know, when I say they are dependent, uh, that is actually true. They depend on the credibility that comes from being affiliated with these two uh, last-century privately owned political organizations, and the credibility that comes from having their picture on the major media. They depend on that to offset the lack of talent.
3: And uh, I and I, I understand it now. Jumping into the ring as president, have you thought about in the last few years, say, starting running off as, say, a representative, a senator, the local dog catcher, whatever it is? What made you want to jump directly to president?
2: Yeah, no, those are very different jobs. If you're in Congress or you are a, if you're a member of the House of Representatives or you're a member of the Senate, that is not, uh, that is not a line item. That qualifies you in any universe to be the president. The president is is a unique position. The the, the House of Rep- the, the Congress Congress is uh, defined in, in Article One of the Constitution, and it is comprised of approximately 535 people. The federal judiciary is comprised of approximately 830 federal judges. Article Two, which defines the presidency, it's basically a one-man show. It's a, it's a one person branch of government. And from that one person, everything else flows. And so it is a very unique constitutional position. And there is nothing about, if you, I have a very good friend who's a congressman from Vermont who has known, uh, known for 40 years, Peter okay. Welch. And uh, 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 Peter Welch is perfect for being in Congress. In other words, you get elected to Congress and you are going to be sitting on committees. That's your job, is to be on a committee and uh, build consensus. And ask questions, and it's uh, it, it, that's it. That's the job. You're one of many, but uh, president pre- president is is very different. I would be a terrible member of Congress. I'd be terrible on a committee, and my friend Peter Welch would be horrible as a presidential candidate.
3: Okay, so would you? So, what about if you ran for a town mayor or governor? Would that give you any more um, yeah, insight um, into presidents?
2: Would, that would that would provide uh, executive uh, experience within the public sector, and a reasonable person could argue that that would be more valuable than my 20 years of executive experience in the private sector. Okay. But my executive experience in the private sector overlaps because I have so many uh, public sector clients. So I really have to have a high level understanding of the public sector to even be involved in the business that I'm in. So that is that is how I would I would counter that.
3: So let's go down to 2020. You won the election in January 21, your first 100 days. What are the first things you would try to get done in the first 100 days?
2: Well, I'll tell you what I would do on day one, and this goes a lot toward making the point of how I feel about foreign policy and war powers and so forth. On day one, I would pardon Edward Snowden, and I would offer him the job of Director of National Intelligence. Because of all the many, 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 many people who work uh, behind the scenes in national security, uh, Edward Snowden. Uh, what these people have to do is they have to do. They have to even even a contractor like Snowden. They have to do everything everybody else does in the federal government, and for that matter, every local cop in McKeesport. You raise your right hand. You promise to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Ed Snowden did that, but then in in the, in the federal government. Uh, if you have a certain sort of job, you have to sign a form that basically says if you dare to even think about upholding the Constitution, you're probably going to end up in jail. Everybody signs that, and there are all sorts of conditions under which uh, you can complain about things and not complain about things, and and all sorts of conditions in this nondisclosure agreement about how you may or may not... Uh, be able to actually be true to your oath to uphold the Constitution. Okay, But what Ed Snowden saw was he saw that the federal government was mining all of our data and storing it in a database without our permission. And since he did that, uh, federal laws have changed. Uh, private sector companies, uh, the big tech companies, have, have uh, stopped working with the federal government in terms of allowing them to have a backdoor. And, and a conversation happened among the people, among the commentariat, that should have happened before these people started doing this. And uh, uh, so we have a right to representation on these issues. And because of Ed Snowden, Ed Snowden gave us that right back that was taken away from us by people who arrogated onto themselves the authority to just start doing this crap.
3: Okay. Okay.
2: So that's what I would do on day one, and then I would break for lunch, and uh, <laughs> I might go to Denny's. Wouldn't that be cool to have, like, a caravan out to Denny's? Um, you never you never see Trump out among the people that way. You know, he no. operates in a very controlled environment. Um, but, but I have kind of in mind a dream cabinet. I love the idea of uh, Tulsi Gabbard as uh, Secretary of Defense because he's the only member of Congress that I'm aware of. Who actually filed a bill uh, requiring Congress to declare war before the United States goes to war? Right. It's perfectly it's perfectly fine for presidents to act unilaterally when the country is under attack by a nation state. But the last time a U.S. citizen was killed on U.S. soil by an uh, under by an attack of a nation state was in 1812 and that was the british right um so it hasn't happened for a long time all the uh, so i'm a big proponent of of supporting the troops by not deploying them in a way that denigrates the constitution they swore to preserve protect and defend people have to be heard on this um i was the only citizen in the united states to independently sue the obama administration when uh, Barack Obama unilaterally, over the course of nine months, shot seven thousand missiles from flying robots at the nation of Libya with no funding, no declaration of war, and there were four congressmen who filed a similar suit, two Democrats and two Republicans. But I was the only citizen to stand up at that time, and as somebody who has forty thousand lawyers for clients, uh, I was I was I, I, I was just asking myself, where are the lawyers on this? Where where is everybody? What's going on here? You know, is, is does a Harvard Law degree and having, uh, you know, uh, uh, skin color that makes you feel good, does that just give you a license to unilaterally involve U.S. armed forces in a foreign civil war without any discussion? I don't think it does. And, I don't think he had authority to do that.
3: And I noticed, because I'm reading this, and it says that uh, because NATO operation ended before the suit was tried, the court... Uh, case was dismissed as moot. Did, yes. was there any feeling on how that case was going to go if it would have been tried? Do you have a feeling that you would have well, wanted, or if, if it, it would have been a a good challenge?
2: Yeah. So, so what happens when you file a suit like that is you ask the judge to issue a, a preliminary injunction, uh, ending the uh, the involvement, and then and then there's uh, things happen, and then one day there's a trial. So, so you file your suit, and then the government files a motion to dismiss and asks for the preliminary injunction to dismiss. So the management issue here is that war has become so efficient, and especially with robots, it, it, the, the robots remove the political consideration. So there's an enormous political consideration of how many men and women are you willing to kill for this cause that, uh, uh, who are U.S. citizens. That political consideration is no, no longer exists. Which makes war more likely, and it makes it so efficient that that the war is over, the illegal activity is over before a judge even has a chance to rule on it. That's a huge management issue, and it makes it even more important for Congress or the legislative branch to assert its authority. It's the fault of the of the, of the legislative branch, which it, which has learned over the years that it can just it can just sit there and do nothing, and presidents naturally are happy. To just take that power and run with it. Well, as president, I would not be one of those presidents. Let okay. me put it that way.
3: Now, the other thing um, I'm interested in is: okay, so you you started your you started your um, run for president. How many times a week are you doing public engagements? Are you doing, I mean, fundraisers, whatever it may be, to get your message out to the public? Not just your listening audience or your viewing audience, right. but the regular public.
2: Yeah, so I kind of see this as it, the, the working plan I have right now, which I which I tweak every day. It's kind of like in three versions. So version one is what I'm doing right now. I'm putting up a lot of content. I'm getting my message out. So Andrew Yang, he workshopped about 100 different issues. and he printed them on his website. I'm doing it in the form of, of storytelling. I'm a great storyteller. So I, I'm putting my opinion out there within the context of telling stories that are really interesting and entertaining to uh, experience, aside from the fact that I'm running for president. Okay. So then uh, after, after the first of the year, when the calendar turns around January 15th and America comes back from its collective vacation and their focus, uh, at that point uh, I'll be using the content that I put up Uh, to pitch myself to to a bigger platform uh, to interview and appear as guests. And then uh, hopefully the momentum is going to build where the natural constituencies for me, which would be uh, small business owners, uh, civil liberties groups, uh, uh, people who are concerned about uh, uh, mental illness, which I have in my family, people who are concerned about autism. I have an autistic son. There are some natural constituencies uh, across the country, in every in every small town and city and county, and that that would uh, gravitate toward uh, uh, my skill sets and the things I'm talking about. Who would want to uh, have me out to speak and to help raise money and things like that? And and I think that that I think that message. I think I think my the, the interest in what I'm saying now is going to go up tremendously as as the calendar marches on and the market window for democracy opens wider and wider and wider until it slams shut on November 4th of next year.
3: So have you reached out to the late-night talk shows, the uh, Colbert's, the uh, Kimmel's, the uh, Fallon's, and Comedy Central and stuff like that to get your message out there? Because, again, you are a natural furthest because you are a comedian, and that would yeah. probably be the um, draw to get you on the stage.
2: Yes. So, so the answer to that is I haven't yet because it's too soon. Okay. Right. If I reach out and I and I know people who know people at these shows, so it's a pretty easy reach out. But you know, if 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 you want to get booked as a guest on these shows, they need to look and see that you're serious. So, so I've only been actively running for president for a little over a month. So, at the point that I've been actively at this for six months, and there are hundreds of uh, stories and, and things that I've put up online and I can prove that I have a certain following and, and, and also prove that I'm serious because a lot of people go well, what's that you're doing again really I've got a business card I got a friend who's a psychologist and uh, <laughs> you know you 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 I, I he might give you a discounted rate just to get you off the street right uh, and uh, so yeah, there, there's, there's a level of credibility that comes along before you can expect to be on those, on those platforms. You know, Colbert is—and is and he makes no apologies for it, but I mean, he is, he is an, a very traditional Democrat. He's very much uh, wishes Hillary Clinton uh, won, and uh, uh, Trevor Noah is a more natural uh, platform for me. He gears okay. toward a younger audience, which is more geared to alternative thinking. And he also is not orthodox in his politics. Um, and Kimmel is just up the road. And I know some people at the Kimmel show. So, so there, are some, there are some great opportunities here. But it, there's, a, uh, there's a stepping. Uh, there are many steps that have to be taken, I think, before uh, the sort of things you're talking about can realistically happen. And I understand that, which is why I'm starting 13 months ahead of time, so that I can show people that I'm somebody who's been showing up and was showing up when I was getting tens of views on YouTube, uh, but just kept continually showing up until, until my listeners and viewers started hammering on these shows to get me on the air.
3: So one other thing I want to know is that since you've been out meeting the public and you've been talking to these people, have you dealt with a, with a citizen that has asked you a question that you cannot answer?
2: You know what? I had someone the other day ask me, why are you interesting?
3: Okay, and what answer did you give them?
2: Well, I'll tell you. You you asked me if it caught me off guard, and it caught me off guard. And I'll I'll tell you why. I may not sound like it in this phone call, but the characteristic that defines me more than anything else is humility. Okay. At sixty years old, I realize I only really know three or four things, and the rest of the stuff I'm trying to figure out. So, and as someone who's been on his feet, you know, in all sorts of different environments for, you know, the better part of forty years why are you interesting it to me is always something for the individual member of the audience to decide. It's right. not for me to say it's just not for me to say. Yeah. And here I was having to say it. And the answer I gave is that I think what makes me interesting possibly to some people is, is that uh, uh, as an entrepreneur for 40 years, I, I have sort of, uh, I would say by the time I was 30, I subscribed to a mantra that, uh, that says, uh, you know, today is Monday and here on Monday I have a known reason or a known set of reasons why I'm taking this action. But I think it's particularly true in what I'm doing here running for president. I'll tell you, I am very excited to discover the unknown reasons why I'm doing this. Okay. And, and because the unknown reasons that are revealed to you when you throw a tremendous amount of action or something are always so much better and, and magical than anything you ever could have imagined. And uh, and that and it may be perhaps even more magical than getting an elected president. So I am uh, very I, I'm very excited every day when I when I get out of bed, I can't wait to to get to the studio. I can't wait to get out there.'m i I'm running on about six hours of sleep a day. I'm working, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hours a day, uh, seven days a week. and but it's not work at all. it's a, it's a total joy.
3: Okay. Now, before I let you go, can you give people um, your web address where they can find the uh, your podcast at, and where they can find you at, if you're doing any public speaking or anything like that in their in their area?
2: Yeah, sure. All the dots will be connected and are connected at markwhitney.com. That's Mark with a K, uh, markwhitney.com. Anyone that wants to email me directly can do so. Mark at markwhitney.com. Uh, the uh, the the my largest platform is called late night last week it's at late last dot com you can click the subscribe button and you'll never miss uh an episode of anything that i'm that i'm putting up and uh uh and i'm always happy to hear from people uh and and get their take on 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 just whatever so that's it yeah
3: and before i let you go is there anything else you want to say to let my audience know who you are and why you're doing this
2: Um, Well, it's Mark Whitney. I'm a civil libertarian, and I I am doing this uh, because, uh, first of all, I think if if I am elected president, I will be the president you always wanted and never knew you could have. Okay. That's basically what it comes down to. Uh, People are looking for something good to happen, uh, and the shift, if I'm elected president, the shift is going to go away from being concerned about the second steering wheels that these two private red and blue political organizations represent, and and it's going to go away from those parties. I don't know why we should care about them. I don't know why we should give them a second thought. And the total focus is going to be on uh, on the people and on equal protection of the law for all citizens and all the great things that mean, making sure that citizens have representation in the Oval Office.
3: Well, Mark, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me this evening and talk to my audience. And I would love to be able to talk to you in six months from now to see how everything's going and to see if it's working out the way you have it all mapped out. So uh, if we could, let's uh, keep in touch and we'll put a tentative date together and we'll get back in touch with each other.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. That's a definite yes for me. I guarantee you in six months, things will not be the way that I've mapped them out. And that could be for good or ill. Right, we will find out in six months. (laughs) Well,
3: Mark, thank you very much. You have a great night, and good luck to you. I'm going to put all your information on my website and also in my podcast description so people can find you. And, uh, again, good luck, and I hope everything works out the way you want it to.
2: Okay, Bill. You have a great night. Thanks again. You too.
3: Bye-bye. Mark Whitney, running for President of the United States. He is a third-party candidate. His hashtag is the people are purple and Mark Whitney for president keep banging. So uh, hopefully he's going to make a difference. I really think he is. I think this is a new way of looking at the the, uh, presidency of the United States. And maybe this is what we need to do is basically go back to our roots and find candidates that are willing to work with each other and not against each other. But uh, hopefully uh, it all works out for Mark. And again, thank you very much for listening to the program tonight. You've been listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77. And uh, we'll be uh, doing a lot of interviews coming up the next few weeks. We're going to be focusing on the uh, movie that's coming out in November 22nd, I believe. Uh, dealing with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, since we are based uh, just south of the city of Pittsburgh here. So we'll be talking with a couple of people that have worked on the program. Um, we're trying to get uh, Francois Clemens back on the program again. We're also going to be talking to a author who wrote a a book about Fred and actually had the opportunity to interview Fred just before he passed away. So we'll look forward to that. And uh, that's going to be about it. We're going to wrap up tonight's program here online with yours truly bill Alexander, again, here on WMCK.fm and also on italknet.com. So everybody, you have a great night. We will talk to you next time here online with yours truly bill Alexander. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com.
0: Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that...